Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Hello everyone. Welcome, welcome to the Art Gallery of South Australia. Agsa Ghana, Miana, Yatanga, Yuandi. We are of course on Ghana country today. And today we have a treat for you. Very exciting, thrilled to have in the house a gentleman who knows more about the Hysons than the Hysons themselves, I'm sure. <laughs> Is that fair enough, Alan? <laughs> Alan has been working at the Cedars um, with the incredible collection and with the legacy that is the legacy of Hans and Nora Heisen, who will be the subject of today's talk for, wait for it, 30 years. And we are absolutely, yes, that deserves a round of applause. Alan Campbell is officially curator of the collection and of course of that wonderful, wonderful homestead. Is there anyone in the room who has not visited the Cedars, which of course includes the studios of both Hans and Nora? Hands up if you haven't, great. I imagine you're going right after this. <laughs> I'd also just like to do a shout out for some of our team in the room because our gallery guides came back to work today. So welcome back gallery guides, lovely to have you back. And some of our gallery guides who now number around the 80 mark and we've just started rec a recruitment today, a training process for our next chapter of gallery guides. So we started today. Uh, some of our gallery guides, some of the people in the room are actually guides at the Cedars as well. And that level of cross-pollination and connection speaks or is just one emblem of the deep connection and relationship that has been developing for many, many years, including, of course, Hans Heysen's time on the board here at the Art Gallery of South Australia. Without further ado, please join me in welcoming and thanking in advance Alan Campbell. Thank you so much, Lisa, one of my favourite ladies. Um, I've worked out with a half an hour time allowance and 16 Heisens hanging, Nora and Hans, uh, that allows me 2.3 minutes per painting, which is absolutely possible for a Heisenophile like me. So I'm just going to pick, say, six, six or so, and talk about those. It's wonderful to see so many hanging. Uh, because uh, not only of Hans, but of his daughter Nora. And it's truly wonderful to see Nora finally getting her true recognition and accreditation uh, as the pioneer she is for, um, for women artists in Australia. Um, just very quickly as an introduction, um, <laughs> yes, I have been there almost 30 years, and um, I didn't meet Hans Harson, we corresponded dare I say it, in the late 60s, um, no, not the late, he died in 68, mid to uh, the 67 period, when I was doing um, uh, a major paper on, it was actually on Jackson Pollock, believe it or not, now here's a variation, uh, and then the tutor, when I was doing my art training, had said to me, I want you to do now a totally different artist to Pollock. Uh, apart from the, you know, the, the abstract modernist, uh, I want you to do an academic realist. So I picked Hans Haasen. And the more I studied Hans Haasen, the more I realised that this guy was a bit of a master. Um, not only his incredible draftsmanship, but his amazing versatility 
in, in mediums, uh, the most beautiful drawer, I think one of Australia's finest drawers. So I ended up spending actually more time on, on Hans than I did on Jackson, with apologies to Jackson. Um, and it was, it was well worthwhile. Um, I'll start with this beauty here. This has become one of my favourite, favourite Hysons, 1904, and we all know it, and thank goodness it's in the collection of the Art Gallery of South Australia, because it could well hang in Sydney. Um, Hyson, when he painted this, it's one of the rare paintings, and this was um, in 1904, he would have painted this in his studio in Curry Street. He'd, he'd just arrived back in 1903 from Europe from four, uh, an intense four-year study period in Paris and Florence and Venice, and he established art classes. He didn't, he didn't like playing the, the role of tutor because he was quite a shy fellow and it didn't appeal to him to, to act the role of teacher, but for reasons of finance he did. And for four, four years he taught art at the old Adelaide Steamship Company building in Curry Street where his studio was situated. So this beauty would have been painted in that particular locality. The, the locality is actually Meadows uh, in the Adelaide Hills and it's built up from a study he did in the Easter of that year, in 1904, um, on a painting sojourn. Uh, and much later in the year, he put it together and decided to make it a major and one of his largest oil paintings. Um, it's the most gorgeous piece of Art Nouveau. It's a very decorative piece. And that wonderful rhythm of the organic uh, forms of the saplings and the, and the cattle weaving their way through them and that beautiful kind of flow of the very early morning light. He's captured it superbly. It's a very sensuous painting, I think. Um, but as I say, very much uh, the Art Nouveau period, 1904 as it was. Um, it was called Mystic Born. You probably think, what an what a unusual title. His wife-to-be, Sally Harson, who was one of his first art students, and was actually present at the time he was painting and had finished this painting. I think they were almost at the engaged period. And um, it was she who, when he turned to her and said, what should I call it, said Mystic Morn. And it was Sally, as she, Sally Bartels, as she was then, who gave most of these wonderful classic titles to the Harson masterpieces, like Red Gold, uh, Mystic Morn, the Pomp of Parting Day, Lord of the Bush, they were all due to Sally, uh, who gave this wonderful, poetic, um, but appropriate titles to them. Um, I love the story, just digressing, it's in Colin Teeley's biography of Hyson, where she'd enrolled in his art classes because he'd seen a painting, a very large painting he'd sent back as an art student when he was painting in, uh, on holiday in Scotland from his art classes in Paris, and it was a beautiful piece painted at West Williams on the coast of Scotland, and he called it Meadow Sweet because of the wildflower that grew all over the, um, the hillside. And it had been exhibited here in, um, in Adelaide prior to him returning to, to Australia. And apparently Sally Bartell saw this piece and fell totally in love with it and made the declaration that anyone who could paint a painting as romantic as that was going to be hers. And when he, if he was ever to return to Australia, she was going to marry this artist, which he did. In 1904, as I said, the tale in December, 
she, she married, uh, they married, and it was a, a wonderful partnership, uh, one, of the, one of the famous partnerships in, in art history. Um, she'd gone out and bought the biggest paint box she could, she could buy to impress the, the tutor. And he always said he, he married her for the, art, for the art box and she married him for the painting, Meadowsweet, so it was a good compromise. But a beautiful, beautiful piece. Why I say it might well have hung in Sydney is that it was sent uh, over to Sydney with another large piece called The Coming Home, whichever you in Sydney, they usually have it out, which is totally, totally different to this Art Nouveau pre uh, presentation. It's very much the, the kind of the Dutch European style, the other one. Uh, the two were exhibited at the 25th um, um, exhibition of the Royal Society in Sydney. And the trustees of the Sydney Gallery were deciding which one to purchase. They settled on the other one, the coming home. Um, there was a lot of debate about it because a lot of people thought this was the better painting. But nevertheless, 150 guineas was a lot of money in those days, and Harson was delighted. As I say, about to be newly married, so uh, he was quite happy with that. And then it went on, of course, in a matter of um, weeks later, to become the winner of the win prize. And that was the first of his nine, I think it's still a record, I must check with the Sydney Gallery, I think it is, Lisa. I think it's still a record for Harson to have won the win prize in landscape nine times. And... Um, he, I think the Adelaide Steamship Company had made an offer to, um, for, for, for no freight expenses, have work shipped to uh, Sydney. And that's why the two larger pieces were uh, sent over, because it would have been quite a, an investment of money to have something like this sent over. It came back after winning um, the prize and then the win, and that next year it became part of the Felden Bequest and was bought by the Art Gallery of South Australia. So that's why it's here. And thank goodness, because it's the most beautiful, beautiful piece. This one, of course, is a well-known Hyacin, red gold, uh, 1913. I worked out, this is probably the first of his large canvases he did in his new studio at Handorf, because he had a very successful exhibition in Melbourne uh, in uh, 1912, and this, um, allowed him to f the finance of the Cedars, to purchase the Cedars at Handorf. Uh, and the studio was then built uh, and finished in early 1913. And this being 1913, my hypothesis is that this would be one of his first, if not the first major oil that he did on the easel in his new studio. Which, by the way, is, I'm sure you're aware, I hope you're aware, it's the nation's oldest purpose-built artist studio. After saying that, I've been challenged because <laughs> there's always a challenge. Uh, Walter Withers, uh, home at Eltham in Victoria, I, co I was contacted by the people who own his prop uh, property, Southernwood, who said, actually, uh, Withers, um, it's not freestanding, Withers' uh, studio was built onto the house in 1904. So, in theory, that's the oldest um, artist studio. Um, so we've changed the, the wording now, so we're the oldest purpose-built artist studio in the nation, open for viewing. <laughs> because the other ones are private, privately owned and you can't see through it. And they were very happy with that and they were, it, was, it was very amicable. Um, 
but a beautiful piece. Harndorf, um, heading down here into Mount Barker, 1913, and um, I believe that Heisen found that as compared to this one, which just flowed, this one he had great difficulty and worked at it and worked at it to capture the, the light. As you know, he was the master of light and the volume of the, of the trunks of the trees. I'm still fascinated how Heisen could build up that wonderful volume on the trunk of the tree uh, to give that uh, dimensional um, uh, appearance. Um, another confession, I always had thought perhaps Hans had kind of lifted the palette a bit too high with this one. Uh, and I was mistaken because only a few years ago I was on the way to Mount Barker about this time, as you can see, it's at sunset colours, and there it was, exactly like that. It's the closest I've ever come to an accident. I almost ran off the road uh, <laughs> because it's captured it perfectly. So my apologies, wherever you are, HH, you've, you've just actually captured it exactly as it was, and it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, it was bought and donated to the gallery by the Honourable Charles Booth, at an exhibition in, which would have been staged in the Institute on the corner in 1913 for the, um, the seventh, uh, no, the 13th uh, exhibition. This was the seventh, that was the 13th exhibition of the Royal Society. And uh, 250 pounds later, that was, that was his, which as I say, was a sizable amount of money. It's amazing, the, um, those early years of Heisen in particular as a young artist, he was out selling Streeton, McCubbin, Roberts, uh, Lindsay uh, in his exhibitions. He still has a record of some of the most successful exhibitions, particularly in Melbourne and, and Sydney. Uh, but, a, but a beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, of course, the famous one is Driving Into the Light, which is in the Art Gallery of Western Australia. And there's another story attached to that that you might know that it, sh it should hang at the NGV in Melbourne, but because of the rejection of it during the First World War, because of Heisen's German birth, because he came here as a six-year-old, it was rejected, uh, stayed in his studio for the next seven years, and then was sold privately and, and uh, philanthropically given to the Art Gallery of Western Australia. Um, the other painting he, by the way, uh, out of interest, he exhibited uh, with this one at that exhibition was a beautiful one called uh, Morning Light. And it was um, this were the famous three gums that were on the property at the Cedars. The big one that you might know is the one in the Ballarat Gallery in Victoria. Beautiful, biggest piece he ever did. And um, Morning Light also sold for 200 guineas to a Richard Smith. Uh, and then further down, many years later, it moved into the Downer family. And then Ron Radford was on a mission because he'd seen this particular painting on the cover of the Colin Turley book. And at that time it was still in the possession of the Downer family. It was exhibited here in Rebecca Andrews' 2008 wonderful Hyacinth exhibition. And then uh, the condition was it wasn't to travel because that exhibition traveled for the next uh, three years, I think. Um, but Ron managed to secure it for Canberra, so it was allowed to travel to Canberra. And um, 
the story is that Ron persevered and finally managed to secure it for the art gallery of the National Gallery. So if ever you're there, it's always pride of place and it's the most beautiful, beautiful painting. They did borrow it for the NGV exhibition, which I hope many of you saw, of Hans and Nora uh, at the NGV that, uh, that uh, hung this year, last year, I should say. I'm watching the time already. Um, we're itching to get this one back. This hangs in the kitchen at the Cedars, uh, Pumpkins and Onions by Hans Heisen and the most beautiful, beautiful piece. He and uh, his daughter Nora both love, love painting vegetables, as you can see in Nora's still life with cabbage here. But they particularly have a thing with onions because of that glistening skin of onions. Uh, both Hans and Nora uh, were great admirers of uh, Fontaine Latour and Chardin, um, and a lot of their work is very, rem and particularly in Australia, of um, George Lambert and a lot of their work is reminiscent of that particular style of work. Um, our guides, um, we always chopped the story out that this was painted for the kitchen wall in 1923, which I found out is quite wrong. I have told the guides this, I think. Um, one of our guides is actually, uh, grew up next to the Cedars, um, one of the Hill family, and she told us the correct story that um, her uncle Cliff Hill, who was Hyson's right-hand man, property manager, looked after the garden, part of the garden, the property, uh, was his chauffeur, etc., for many, many, many years. When he married, Hyson had painted this in a, as, a, as a gift for he and his new bride, um, and it was presented to them. They lived just up from the Cedars in a, in a, a small cottage, and the story was that, uh, that she, the new bride brought it back to Hans and said, actually, it's a beautiful piece, but it's too large for our house. It's out of scale. Could you do something smaller? Uh, which he did, which he did. So this one came back to the Cedars and has remained there ever since. And, uh, and that's fair enough, I think. You've got to keep things in scale. But I'm glad it came back. It was actually, to be honest, telling all the family secrets here, we found it in the cellar. It was found in the cellar and it was so covered with green mould where it had been put down there for years and years and years and forgotten. We have photos of it um, and you could hardly identify it. And it was very carefully restored by uh, a David Hyson, Sir Hans' son, uh, and there it is. People don't realise there's a bottle there. Do you see the bottle in the corner? That's the reflection in the bottle, yeah. And we've still got the copper pot up, up at the Cedars. It's wonderful to see this one. This one always seems to live at Government House because it seems to be the, the governor's and the governor's wife's favourite, favourite Hyson. And uh, it's the most beautiful piece. Hyson, I think no one painted grapes like Hyson. The bloom on those grapes is wonderful. And uh, this particular, um, I've seen it just described as a, a, as a dish, a fruit dish. To me, it's not a dish. It's actually a Regency uh, boat-shaped comport. Uh, people who come through the cities seem to think it's uh, Waterford, it's not, it's actually Stuart Crystal, that beautiful diamond cut to the Stuart Crystal. Hyson um, was a master at the painting of still life, which people, a lot of people still don't realise. They associate him only with his iconic landscapes and his great love was, in fact, he was very popular early in his career for his constant commission work on his still life and which he actually wound up 
in the late 1930s when his daughter Nora came back from studying in London for the four years and he realised she'd become a beautiful painter of the still life. So he said, okay, they, a kind of a verbal contract where he said, I'll paint the landscapes, you paint the still life, which she did. But a great shame he stopped because I think he's an absolute master. And as I say, you can see the influence particularly of Fountain Latour, often with these dark fabric backgrounds. We've still got this fabric up at the Cedars. They love pomegranates and quince, pears, etc. And it's the most beautiful, beautiful piece. Um, he, where are you? Where's the one of Scott? Oh, here it is. Um, Nora, of course, this is by the 19-year-old Nora Hyson, um, who was... Ironically, I think some of Nora's best work in still life, I mean, she's known early for her portraiture, uh, and both portraiture and, and still life, her early work in the late 20s, early 30s, I think is her finest work. And then the parallel is when she was an older artist in her 70s, uh, particularly when her eyesight was starting to fail, and she um, changed for the first time to French pastel did the most beautiful, beautiful contemporary work in pastel, mainly of fruit, pears and apples and quinces, etc. So it was almost kind of the two ends of the spectrum. Uh, and we're on a hunt to try and find more and more of her contemporary work. She was still working when she, uh, when she died in 2003, um, still drawing from the model with her great friends uh, Julie Cassab and Margaret Woodward and Charles Blackman. And we've got work at the Cedars, um, literally from when she was 15 to when she was 92. It's an amazing collection of work. Um, and a, an incredible bequest of her work came back to the Cedars. Even though she lived in Sydney from the 1930s on, her roots were still here. And she always considered that uh, this was her, her home and her great love for her father, her parents. Um, so we've got 700 works on paper alone that she sent back to, to her collection, which is a total conservation nightmare, I can assure you. Um, but a beautiful piece. Gabriosa, I'm sure you've, you've read with the recent publicity about the wonderful Diana Ramsey, who left up to bequest, uh, incredible bequest to the gallery here. That is an eight-year-old, I think it was an eight-year-old, she came through as a child with her father and saw this piece and this was the first piece of art that she, she just fell in love with and the rest is history. And uh, Scabiosa, we've still got them, they grow so well at the cedars, uh, they love the kind of the, the warmer days and the cool nights. Uh, Scabiosa Caucasia, from Turkey, Iran, yeah, yeah. Um, how's my time? Five minutes to go. Um, tomatoes on a Chinese plate. Uh, the Chinese plate is here, and I've just been told it will be put on show. I must say, by the way, I think it's so appropriate to have this beautiful uh, cabinet, Barsmith cabinet, under the Hysons, because the Barsmiths were instrumental in Hysons' success, and that Robert Barsmith, uh, early in the piece, offered to pay his full-time tuition at the Adelaide School of Design, uh, which didn't eventuate because of the necessity of him working for his father and he had to continue with that. But in the end, uh, it paid for a day and a half's tuition at the Adelaide School of Design, thanks to Robert Barsmith. And then the Barsmith family then became great patrons of Hans and Nora. Um, and a lot of the work hung at Torrance Park of Hysons 
and at Ockendorick at Mount Barker. And of course Ursula Barsmith, Ursula Hayward, uh, was a great friend of Nora, and uh, so that friendship continued through the Hoss and Barsmith, uh, Barsmith family. And some lovely pieces, There's a couple of beautiful little pieces there uh, of Nora's that are on loan as well. But the plates here, um, it's a Swato plate, Chinese plate, and again, uh, as I say, Nora loved, loved to put uh, vegetables and fruit uh, on, on various... Uh, there's a wonderful collection of um, artefacts at the Cedars that they used, and fabrics used as backdrops, as you can see, particularly um, French and English fabrics. There's an amazing collection of Chinese robes, ancient Chinese court robes that Hyson would buy at auction and use the, the backdrop to his still life, as did Nora. Actually, Nora, more so than Hans, of these beautiful pieces of fabrics uh, as a backdrop to their still life, still life pieces. But she's used there a particular favourite... Um, back to the Bar Smith, it's actually it's a story that belonged to the Bar Smith family and they'd been up for a Sunday drive and, and, uh, and Hans had admired it, so it stayed with him to be used by both he and Nora as an underlay for their still life, yeah. Five minutes to go. Would anyone like to ask any questions? I, one thing I want to mention though, Ruth in the next um, uh, gallery, uh, Nora did say to me, it was wonderful having that last 10 years friendship with Nora. And not only to get to know Nora and the history of Nora, but also, and believe me, when she died at 93, she was still as sharp as a tack. Her brain was incredible. But also it gave me a great insight into her father because she'd tell stories of her father in particular and his, you know, his techniques, etc. So it was a great bit of oral history went on between the two of us. Um, but she did say to me that the one of Ruth, she still regarded at 92, 93 as one of her finest paintings. And uh, it's been, it was acquired by the Art Gallery of South Australia in, in um, 1933 and is always prominently displayed. And there's a, there's a beauty in the Art Gallery uh, at the NGV and at the National Gallery and uh, many others that keep popping up that, in, in terms of charcoals and sketches that I hadn't seen. Ruth, um, I met Ruth and didn't know it was Ruth. Um, the story very quickly, when I lived in Handorf and uh, I operated a, a business in the main street in the 80s, 1980s, as a plant nursery uh, specialising in old-fashioned roses and perennials. And this dear little old lady used to come in every Sunday after church, uh, being the good Lutheran community it was, and um, she never bought anything, we, but she really knew her plants and we used to speak pure Latin for hours, and she was just fantastic, um, but never bought anything. She had a wonderful, wonderful garden up the top of English Street, which is where Hyson lived when he first moved to Harndorf. It was then called Billy Goat Lane in 1908 um, to 1912, and it was called Rhonda's Jungle. It was the most amazing garden you've ever seen, but she did a lot of her own propagating, etc. so she didn't need to buy anything from the local nurserymen. But we had great yarns. I never knew it was, it was Ruth. And it wasn't until she died, I always knew it was Mrs. Harris, Rhonda Harris, that there was uh, um, a piece written about her, that she indeed was, was, was Ruth, as uh, she was Ruth Pake. Uh, and then when she married, became uh, 
Ruth, well, Rhonda Harris. Rhonda, Nora did say to me, I remember vividly saying to me, how dare I change that woman's name as I did? She was very much into the biblical names and the backdrops in her you know, portraits in the landscape. And she was quite, here she's ticking herself off at 92 that she had the audacity to, to change this woman's name from Rhonda to Ruth. We have a, um, a painting, a beautiful portrait that Nora gave us of Rhonda's 13-year-old sister. Because uh, as you probably know from looking at that, Ruth had the, Rhonda, Ruth, here we go. Ruth had the long plaits and the sister, um, Phyllis, also had the long plaits. And Nora Ida often said, I'd like to paint you as well. So when she was to return with Ruth, uh, with the intention that Nora was to paint her, um, she'd, had, she'd had a hair bob, the plaits were gone, and, and, and Nora was devastated because she particularly wanted to, to, to capture those plaits. But uh, yes, but Ruth uh, has become quite a... Nora, on, on one of her last visits to Harndorf, went to visit her. Uh, for old times sake and she was so disappointed because she said she Ruth didn't want to to talk about um, you know the, that past and whatnot she was waiting patiently for her meals on wheels and she couldn't be bothered talking about the history of Nora painting her but uh, and it was due to uh, Nora's mother a lady Harson who actually um, saw this woman this young woman and uh, and thought with that wonderful face and this is the beauty of Nora's portraiture of women, and this is another reason why she's a bit of a trailblazer for women artists, because she actually took that on and gave one of the first artists, women artists, to give women exposure uh, and the definition of their strength, as you can see in that one of, of Ruth. Uh, and I think that was a great thing for, uh, for, for women, not only for women artists as well. Yeah. And my time's up right on the dot. <laughs> Are you happy to take some questions if people have yeah. got them? Alan's very happy to take some questions if you have them. It's so fantastic to get all of those insights, the stories behind the works. That idea of the community reflected in the body of work uh, is, is really compelling and brings these pictures to life. And the resonance of this display, which does just a, a tribute to Elfreak and Tracy Locke in putting this together, because this display, which is very fresh, it was made possible by the return of the works from the NGV show. So there were more than 100 works from this collection that were part of that exhibition, as you would expect. And when the works returned, it gave us here at the gallery an opportunity to look afresh at the Hysons. And uh, the wonderful thing is, with such long careers, there are many tales to be told. And in this instance, it was an opportunity to draw out the local arts and craft movement story really, the thread, and to make that connection through this uh, particular commission from the Barsmith family and Nora and Hans. You'll also see a, an early Margaret Preston over there, for instance, and some other works in the space, the Howie furniture, and of course the Fantin Latour, which stood one of the earliest works acquired into the collection, which stood, I think, as a real, a real beacon for both Nora and for Hans. It was, um, together it was their favourite work in the collection. Take this microphone. Tracy Locke, thanks, uh, Lisa. Tracy Locke um, and the NGV. Um, the catalogue that accompanied the NGV collection, there were four essays, and Tracy uh, did the one on the still life of Hans and Nora, and it's absolutely brilliant. She's not here, otherwise she'd be 
hiding at the back, but it's the most, one of the most brilliant essays I've read. I was reading it last night, going, yeah, Tracy, you've got it. Um, and it really is good. So if you get a chance, is it in this shop still? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, yeah, it's and we've got 200 copies at the Cedars, uh, the plug. So it's worth buying just for that particular essay because it really is an insight into the work of these two you know, fine artists of the still life. Thanks, Liz. Last call for questions. Okay, can I ask you please to join me in thanking and congratulating, that was fabulous, Alan. So wonderful. Quick, uh, quick survey, is anyone in the audience new to our Tuesday lunchtime talk series? Is, it, is this the first time? Hands up, loud and proud, this is our cheap method of research here at the Art Gallery of South Australia and I have to count you, so keep your hand up. Can I ask you, BK, to do second counting? This is how we know that we're continuing to build audiences. It's a really important part of what we do here. And our Tuesday talks are, as you can see, ever popular. Next week, the inimitable James Bennett, our curator of Asian art, will be speaking about the Tarajan Erong, or coffin, that is currently placed in the refreshed display in Gallery 16 in the Melrose Wing. So just on the other side of the wall, essentially. So James will be talking about that next Tuesday at 12.30. A final round of applause for Alan Campbell. Thank you so very much. Thank you, sir.